Hello, friends. Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is your host, Michael Carey, and I have a special guest today, a good friend of mine, Brad Grammer. Brad is a, he's been a ministry leader, a pastor, a social worker, author of an incredible book called Examining the Impact of Trauma. He has also led support groups for people struggling with unwanted sexual behavior, and he's a husband and a father. Mm -hmm. What did I miss, Brad? Anything you want to add there? I think that covers it all. So I'm a chocolate lover, so that's about the only thing you didn't list. That's really important. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it's okay. We can still be friends, even though I think chocolate tastes like dirt. Um, Anyways, yes. So... um, in helping others um, and writing on this topic in your book, you even kind of mentioned this, you know, this isn't just textbook knowledge, but uh, your story, your book um, really is framing the way the trauma impacts unwanted sexual behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So you've had your own challenges with unwanted sexual behavior. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and that's actually been a major reason um, of what led me into ministry in the first place was just my own journey um, with unwanted sexual attractions. And um, um, I, I can just go ahead and step into my story a bit and talk about that a little. And you can ask me any questions if there's anything you'd like to know more about. But uh, it, it's been a, a journey and a process just to even understand um, myself and my journey. I think my my earliest recollection, I think, of being drawn to to males in a different way was when I was four years old. And, and the reason I say it in a different way is because I would imagine myself to grow up and be a woman and marry a man. That, those were a regular part of my thoughts. And I was really drawn to males um, that were attractive to me. But it wasn't like anything sexual. I, I wasn't exposed to early sexual behavior. Um, so at that time, I couldn't really say it was sexual, but there was something about it that was obviously different. And I didn't know until I got a little bit older and started going to school that there seemed to be something different about me. Um, that the the males in my school um, would treat me differently because I didn't seem to have the same interest as them. I, I wasn't involved in sports. I wasn't interested in sports. I was interested in things more like music and art. And, and uh, that was kind of a no-no with uh, boys at that time. It was that if you're a real boy, you would be involved in sports and rough and, rough and tumble play and you would do the same kind of things. And I had a couple of male friends that we would do things together. We would ride bikes together. We would go fishing together. But I was certainly not the daredevil like my friends were or my brothers were. Um, in terms of my home environment, uh, my father was uh, somewhat of a mystery to me. Um, there really wasn't what I would say much of a relationship with him. I can count on one hand the number of times that we spent one-on-one together um, in all my years growing up. And one memory I have in particular is when I was six years old and my father drove me to um, the grocery store to get some ice cream. It was my birthday. And my mom and my brothers, unbeknownst to me, they were kind of setting up for a little birthday party back at home. And my dad kind of got me out of the house But it was such a vivid memory for me because all the way there to the store and all the way back, like not one word was exchanged between us. And that wasn't unusual, but it was the first time I just felt this longing inside that I really wanted him to say something to me. 
And I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to say something to him, but I, I just felt kind of frozen. And I just remember feeling that kind of disconnect, that loneliness of wanting something more in our relationship. And over time, just realizing that that was just something I had to give up, that that longing that I kept having to connect with my father is just something I had to let die or at least cover up because it just wasn't happening. My father just remained quiet and my brothers kind of verify that that this is the kind of relationship they have with their my father too, is that he was just kind of distant and disconnected and even sitting at the dinner table, there was just no conversation from him. So my mom and my brothers would talk, but but nothing from my father. And um, that's significant as part of my story, as well as the disconnect from peers at school and just the fact that um, males generally didn't accept me. And as I got into adolescence, I was just made fun of a lot more and called sissy and fag. And and it was kind of confusing to me about why I was being treated that way. Um, I'd go down the hallway of the school and be slammed into a locker or punched in the stomach. And I wouldn't know why, you know, um, except for the fact that they didn't like the way I was. And I wasn't much of a, when you say fighter, I was more of a kind of just absorbed everything. And so I just kind of kept to myself. My mm-hmm. response to all of that was just to isolate more. And, and it was scary for me in adolescence because uh, my sexual attractions started developing and were kind of exclusively towards the same males that, that were usually the ones who <laughs> were abusive and, mm-hmm. and hostile towards me. And that just confused me. And it was certainly a time period where it was not okay to be gay or lesbian or transgendered. I mean, you kept that quiet because if mm-hmm. that was known, you would, you know, be picked on even more. Even, even though I was called sissy and fag, I would never give any indication that that's what I was. I wouldn't speak that way. I wouldn't show it that way, but I was treated that way. And so I found that the best way to survive that was just to keep to myself. And I was a Christian at that time. I grew up in the church. Um, and, one thing I thought was very interesting as I looked upon my story is that there was very little conversation about sex, if any, in the context of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, youth group leaders were, tend to be the ones who would talk about sex with the youth groups, but it was always in the context mm-hmm. of you know group conversation. You know, with teenagers, it's just yeah. embarrassing and uncomfortable. And uh-huh. especially what I learned is that you know silence always communicates a negative message. Mm-hmm. So if my parents are not talking to me about sex. If I'm not hearing sermons about it, mm-hmm. that's communicating a neg- negative message. And the message I got was, this is something to be embarrassed about, something you don't talk about, and certainly something to feel shame about. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly didn't know what to do with these desires I had towards males. I didn't know what to do with the, the fact that I was masturbating every day. And this was kind of like my escape from the world because... Mm-hmm. I didn't really have friends during my adolescence. I just kind of kept isolated to myself because of the treatment that I experienced. And um, so it was like really um, a very lonely and depressing time for me. And I eventually became really suicidal because I I just came to despise how my life turned out in terms of not being accepted and welcomed among males, um, not being accepted generally in wherever I was, whether it was at church or Mm -hmm. at home or at school Mm -hmm. and not having any kind of connection with my father um, and somewhat of a disconnect with my own mother. I mean, they didn't even know my struggle with depression and 
and uh, suicidal thoughts. And, mm. and uh, I came to a crisis point when I was around 20 years old where I took one brave step and reached out to the youth leader in my church. He was somebody that um, maybe at that time I would consider more nerdy. <laughs> so I felt almost like oh, yeah. safer with him because mm. I was a nerd. You know, I was the mm. reject, the outsider. And, mm. and I took a step and just met with him and talked to him. I was in college at that time. And I just talked about how I just was miserable with my life and I didn't understand why I was here. Mm. And I also just talked about how I felt just guilt for my sin. Now I didn't talk about anything, any sexual struggle. I didn't identify that, but I just talked about my struggle with sin, you know, in general. Mm. And, um, and he shared the the gospel with me, even though I've been to church my whole life, he talked Mm. about how, I didn't have to get cleaned up to come to God. You know, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath, so you don't need to get cleaned (laughs) up to come to God. You can come as you are, Mm -hmm. the complete mess that you are. And Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 was just became very vivid to me when he talked about, shared that verse, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of God, not of Mm -hmm. yourselves, I mean. Yeah. And it's a gift of God. And that just... For some reason, it, I think it was just the Holy Spirit working in my heart, but it just really clicked with me that I didn't have to be good enough to be loved by God. I didn't have to be, I didn't have to do anything on my part to be saved. It was a complete gift. There's no mm-hmm. effort on my part to be able to earn that. Yes. And from that yes. point on, that's when my life began to change and transform in, in a myriad of ways mm. and including my sexual desires. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that and the vulnerability. I mean, that, um, uh, I could, I understand that, you know, looking back so many times, peers, um, growing up and teenagers and stuff, of course, as adults, we understand that, um, when we're the scapegoat, it's because of someone else's insecurities and they don't, they don't like people that are not like them, or they just want to pick on somebody because, uh, then they don't have to look at their own insecurities and struggles and whatever it is. But, um, the, but that's extremely painful, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, even having that knowledge as an adult certainly doesn't cure all of the things that happen to us. You right. know, those things stay with us throughout mm-hmm. our adult life right? until we actually deal with them and do something about it. You know, mm-hmm. that's, it remains unresolved. Right. right. So, um, so you were, you, you, you really, you, you really started to understand the truth about the gospel where maybe in the past it, uh, it wasn't, um, revealed to you at that level and so on. Um, so when it comes to the sexuality, when did you first, you know, start to actually work on, on that you, you decided, uh, or, or realized, I should say that you, you weren't, um, created to be a gay man, but you were created by God to be a heterosexual male. Like what was that whole piece like in, in your journey? Well, that, that's what's different, I think, about my stories. I never, I didn't think about, it was hard enough for me to be able to even identify as say I was gay. So when I got to the point and, and just ad- admitted that I had same-sex attractions, I didn't think there was anything I could do about it. Um, I mean, for the longest time, I never talked about it. So there wasn't any like pursuing help for that. Um, during that time in history, there's any kind of, ministry or support group ministry that specifically focused on same-sex attraction. That's, it was very rare to find such a, a ministry. And of course it wasn't talked about in church. And so there's mm-hmm. very little conversation about it. And I was too embarrassed 
and afraid to talk to anybody. I'm always a very shy and withdrawn person. And so for me to take such a risk, I mean, I could stroke out right there just trying to even think about going to talk to somebody. Yeah. And it was hard enough for me just to even go talk to that youth pastor and Mm -hmm. and just share generally about my life. So I didn't really think there's anything I could do about my attractions. I didn't think they could change. Um, Really what my journey looked like is that um, God led a couple of men in my life who were uh, youth group leaders and college student uh, ministry leaders. And they just really pursued me um, and showed me really, I believe um, the a father's love for the first time. I mean, they were more of a father and how they loved me than my own biological father was. And they took me under their wing and they discipled me and they just introduced me to God, you know, understanding him much more clearly. Mm. And it was as I pursued just addressing um, just all the emotional needs I had, the struggles that I faced. Um, it was as I was learning to be discipled and address those areas that I could see a possibility of working on, like being lonely. What do I do if I'm lonely or being depressed? How do I work on being depressed? Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm suicidal, what do I do about that? And so I read books, learned from these men who are my mentors about those kind of emotional issues. And they helped me to understand what my story was about the rejection that I experienced, the lack of father's love. And they focused on that and helped me and guided me through it. One of the youth leaders was an actual a counselor, a professional counselor. So wow. we were friends. So mm. I just got lots of free therapy because <laughs> we were friends because <laughs> we would just hang out and go running together or uh. just uh, do overnights, you know, in each other's places and just build a friendship. And he was very, both of these men in particular were very open with me and shared a lot about their own story and their own journey, not with same-sex attraction, but just their own struggles with lust in other ways, or just their own hearts about what was the deepest parts of them. And that was kind of like the really beginning building foundation where I felt really hopeful because, I mean, honestly, it was the first time anybody was ever honest with me and real with me. Mm. I'd never had real relationships where people were so transparent and vulnerable. And that alone was very healing. Now, looking in hindsight, I saw what was happening. Like God was using these men to meet the very deep parts of me um, that needed to connect with males. Um, What needed to happen as a child and as an adolescent happened when these men as a young adult. Mm -hmm. So um, having those basic needs met was crucial um, to be able to find resolution with my same-sex attraction. But that was over a very long period of time, as over a decade at least. And God continued to lead other men in my life. But I was I continued to be attracted to men and I continued to be drawn to them. But I noticed that my desires slowly were changing. They were becoming less and less sexual towards males. And there was more of a desire to want to be connected with a woman. I wasn't necessarily sexually attracted to women. But I was interested in romantically in being mm-hmm. um, close with a woman. So that was, again, a very long process before that changed. So I wasn't like specifically pursuing changing that part of my life, um, wanting to transform that. It happened. My understanding now is it happened as the deeper issues were met in my life. 
the deeper traumas, the deeper needs that I had, as God brought healing in that, uh, the symptoms of my struggles changed. And so no longer was it about same-sex attraction. Um, there was other things that developed that I had to deal with, like shame and guilt and understanding God's forgiveness. I mean, those were things that came more to the forefront and any kind of addictive behavior became less and less. Hmm. So the so the symptoms actually changed as they were being addressed without you really consciously thinking, I'm going to work on this or that right. or whatever it was. But um, all of those times that you talked about, like uh, on your birthday and your father not speaking to you while he's, you know, he's doing something that um, is you know, helpful and, and, and building a relationship, spending that time. But, but the, you mentioned this silence communicates a negative message. So Mm -hmm. even though he's spending time with you, he's not speaking to you. And so we need both time and we need, we need vulnerability. We need uh, someone to speak into our lives. And so these men were doing that Mm -hmm. for you as well. So you were, you were basically getting the things that you missed out on from your father. And not only in addition to like addressing what were wounds and traumas in my life um, and identifying what my true needs were, I also had to address like, how did I respond to what happened to me? Um, Because there's a lot of, there's a lot in that story in terms of like how I sinfully responded, how I naturally responded. So like one of the choices that I made, and I talk about this in my book, is that in response to experiences so much rejection from males, my response was to hate them in return. Now that is, Mm -hmm. you know, as a Christian, we're never encouraged to hate anybody. We're obviously encouraged to love, including our enemies. So if I am choosing to hate someone, and I chose not just individuals, but a gender, that's going to have an impact on my soul. That's going to have an impact on my desires because... I cannot just sin freely like that without there being some consequences. And so that was, a, you know, that's some of the story that I have to deal with is like, how did I respond to those things that happened to me that were harmful? And that sets me up also for the struggles that I'll have. Mm, yeah. So, well, you said the, the symptoms um, and uh, the, the sexual desires were diminishing, did they ever get to a place where you were no longer attracted to males and just just attracted to uh, females? And I say, I say that thinking I know so many uh, men that I speak to who uh, have experienced same-sex attraction and are single, you know, I tell them, well, you really only need to be attracted to one woman if you're in, you know, you feel like God is leading you to be married someday. Mm-hmm. And they're, they don't really like that answer sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like that simple solution, things, but, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, right. A simple mm-hmm. solution, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not quite simple, but yeah. uh, uh, I don't want to oversimplify it. What was that journey like for you? So I, because of these men that um, were my friends and just loved me, um, it's a natural part of our relationship to talk about how we felt about, you know, women and especially my friends who didn't struggle with same-sex attraction. They would confess their struggles with lust for women. And I thought that as my desires started to be less for males, that it would, I would somehow shift 
my sexual attraction to women. And that didn't really happen. Um, I got to the point where how I describe it is that when I look at a male, I can identify if he's attractive, if he's well-built, but I'm not going to fantasize in my mind. I'm not going to have my heart racing like I used to, like, oh my God, I got to meet this guy. You know, I've got to, I've got to be around him or fantasize sexually about what I'm doing with him sexually. Those things went away. And so it remained exclusively just identifying that this is an attractive person. Um, My wife often talks about how like, it's not unusual for women to talk about other women and say, oh, she's really beautiful. She has a nice body. And, right. and that seems to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. But like for a male to do that, it's like all of a sudden it's unacceptable. But yet mm. that is something that males do, whether they talk about it or not. We, we identify if a man is attractive and has a nice body. Mm-hmm. But we can do that without it being sexual. We can do it without fantasizing about that person. And that's what happened for me. And I didn't exchange lust for men with lust for women. I exchanged um, getting rid of this attraction, this lust for men to just looking at people as, you know, attractive or not attractive or whatever. And, and even for my wife, I didn't have an attraction to her initially. Um, The draw was just to build a friendship Mm. and to be able to um, get to know her as a person and enjoy her as a person and as mm-hmm. a friend. But the, the attraction to her came as I built um, that friendship. And many times with the men that I have worked with and the, the men that I've been friends with who've also had same-sex attraction, those who have um, gotten married often share that, that that is a common experience for them. And rather than yeah. being attracted yeah. to males first... I mean, being attracted to females first and then entering relationship with them, like a lot of men who only have heterosexual desires, a lot of times that's what happens is they're drawn to a woman. They, she looks beautiful, and so I want to meet her, and then they start building a friendship. It's just the opposite. Yeah. A lot of times for those of us who've had same-sex attraction is where we're drawn to de- develop a friendship, and then the attraction comes later, and that's what happened for me. So it's, and it's not like all of a sudden now I lust for women all the time because now I've you know, gotten right. married and, and I've been able to have a sexual relationship with my wife. Now I'm, I'm lusting after all women. It's, it's never, it's never gone that direction. Um, it's just remained something that is calm in terms mm-hmm. of sexual desire, calm, manageable. It's exclusively for my wife and that's it. Mm. Yeah. And what you're describing really seems, um, it sounds more uh, along the, the line of design, the way things, the way it should be anyway, you know, um, seeking the companionship and the friendship and and then having the attraction and everything else um, uh, develop, you know, that seems um, like the way it should be, you know, that mm-hmm. seems like the right, the right way. And, and uh, so many of us, maybe we, we uh, put the, the, you know, the cart before the horse or whatever it is and then thinking sexually first. And, um, so I think when it comes to heterosexual males, I think that's, um, a lot of us probably envy that in a way, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but some yeah. of the things, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So the things that you're, um, that, that you were experiencing, 
what wasn't a shift in the direction of of lust in either direction, but uh, it sounds like it's it it was more um, moving into uh, a more of a godly design for relationship. And then, it's, yeah, it's more yeah. like as you become a healthier person, then your sexual desires fall in line with that. But I, I also want to, I sometimes I hesitate to share that part of my story about how I'm not attracted sexually to, to either gender, because then it, it seems like either I'm faking it, I'm lying, or mm-hmm. like everybody else needs to feel bad about themselves if they're not to that place. But mm. there has to be an understanding, though, of there's a lot of factors that I'm influences everybody's story. Yeah. Um, people who have sexual abuse in their story are going to have a different experience than, than those who don't. And those who have had a lot more sexual experience with a lot of people, that also plays a factor. How you um, address your brokenness, how you address your sin. Um, there's, there's so many factors, your personality. That all comes into play and affects like how all this concoction inside of you can result in whether you can how healthy you can be sexually i mean it's Mm. it can be very hard for some people um to to get to that place of just having a a healthy sexuality i think it's very difficult to reach and and for me it even without a lot of the if you noticed in my story i didn't mention anything about sexual abuse or that kind of physical abuse and those kind of traumas um so those are things that I did not have to deal with that I think made my journey a little bit easier than for some people who do have mm-hmm. more severe types of traumas in their life. And yeah. and so that has to be taken in consideration. I don't want to create this feeling that somehow somebody needs to feel bad if they're mm-hmm. not at that place, even if they've been working on their journey for quite a while, that they need to feel bad about not being at a place where they can say that they're not sexually attracted to anybody but their spouse. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's yeah. an unusual place to be for me, mm-hmm. um, and I don't expect that that is going to happen for many. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even tell you fully exactly why it has worked out that way. I've known two people in my life who um, individuals who struggle with same sex attraction, and when they became Christians, they were instantly delivered from those desires, and they were never attracted to the same sex again. Now that seems really freaky mm. to some people, and many people wonder, well, why doesn't that happen to everybody? And that's yeah. the mystery that remains in our relationship with God. It's like for those two individuals, I don't know why God removed it, but it yeah. just happened. Right. For my story, I got to this place. I can give you some ideas about why I got here, but there's probably some mystery still in that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. our stories are not meant to be used to somehow make us feel less than or better than. It's yeah. just our story, our own unique story. And it's okay to be in our journey wherever we are um, because God loves us fully, no mm-hmm. matter where we are in our journey. And that's our story to walk out. You know, Now, I think that's less of a struggle for me um, than a lot of people who have been in the struggle with sexuality issues. But there's other issues I have that are way more significant struggle for me that mm-hmm. a lot of people wouldn't, <laughs> you know, yeah. have a struggle with. So mm-hmm. know, we each have our own burdens. We each have our own struggles. Just because I'm free from this kind of struggle doesn't mean I'm free from all struggle. Yeah. It's a different kind yeah. of struggle now for me. And sure. so just to make sure that that's clear to our listeners that like um, to not go to shame, not to 
look down upon yourself, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for being in a different place than where I am. That's, that's not your story yet, you know, and, and it's going to play out differently and that's okay. We don't have to be all like each other. Yeah. That's, this is our own unique story and we support each other wherever we are in the journey. Yeah. Very well said. I think, Mm -hmm. um, so the idea that not everyone is, is going to get to that place where they really want to be, um, necessarily. And, uh, it doesn't mean God's holding out on you. It doesn't mean that you're not doing it right, Mm -hmm. but, um, accepting the idea that each person has their own story, you know, and I remember in the scriptures, the apostle Paul says three times I prayed and asked God to remove something, whatever it was. Yeah. We don't know. Um, but, um, God said no. Right. So Mm-hmm. We and and he he had to accept that, and so that there is a lot of mystery in there. And uh, even you know, as I read through the Gospels, and I see that Jesus heals the he he heals blind people in in a different way each time. So, you know, sometimes he spits in the and creates mud and rubs it in a guy's eyes, and other times he spit right into the guy's face. Like mm-hmm. why? And we we don't know. Uh, sometimes people are delivered. But I think even when they have that experience, there's still work to do. Right. I mean, I think that Correct. I think the deliverance, even if they have the uh, desire or not, I think it what it does is it really just opens up the door for all the other work that we have to do that's underlying. Right. You know, the, and that's a good reminder because even those two individuals that were like instantly delivered from same sex attractions, they they will they shared freely with me and shared freely with others that like they still had to work on themselves. They still had the inner issues to address their own um, traumas to work on their own sin patterns and how they related to people. That's a part of everybody's story. So even Mm -hmm. though the, the actual addictive struggle was gone, they still had to do the hard work, which is obviously a much lengthier process and is contingent on how cooperative you and I are with that (laughs) because that, I mean, I'm 58 years old now and I'm still working on my life. I mean, still God revealing things that I had not known before. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, uh, it's kind of amazing to me, this journey that we have. And, and if we can, I sometimes feel like we don't, maybe we haven't been led in that mindset, but that we need to be in this mindset that like our whole life is a journey with God here on earth. And, as long as I'm alive, I'm always going to be in process and to not yeah. be discouraged by that, but to see that, that this is the norm. And if, if you are convinced in your heart that you are perfectly loved now by God and that you don't have to get to another place to be more loved by him, but that he's fully pleased and rejoices in you now, wherever you are in your journey, whether you start, this is day one for you or whether it's day 50 years, you know, God is yeah. perfectly pleased with you because of his finished work on the cross through his son. Mm-hmm. And so we are perfectly accepted and loved now. And so this journey called life is all about learning how to mm-hmm. become more like Christ, to give ourselves more over and over to him, to trust him fully and mm-hmm. to renounce the things that we have turned to other than him. That's, that's a lifelong journey, you know? And so, and it, it does become easier if we're in the, in the journey, uh, easier in the sense of that, Mm -hmm. the more I find that God is what I need as I learn how to let go and trust him more and more, his power becomes greater and it's more available. And, Mm -hmm. and learning how to suffer through that is, 
there is strength that comes learning how to persevere and to find joy in it mm. and not to be burdened by it, but to feel the joy of Christ and to grow in that. That's, that's part of a significant part of the journey too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of, uh, <clears throat> I think it's, um, was it Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, um, on her tombstone, I think it says, um, construction complete. Thanks for your patience. Something like that. <laughs> um, that's <yeah>. great. <laughs> Interesting. I think that needs to be on all of our tombstones. For yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. So, friends, I'm so glad that you're able to join us for the podcast today. Stay tuned for episode two of the interview with Brad Grammer, which will air in a couple of weeks. If you really believe in the message of the Living Truth Podcast and you'd like to spread the word, please go ahead and share the podcast with some of your friends and give us a rating. Uh, the ratings really do help in uh, the search engines and people finding this podcast and this information. So if you're able to spread the news in any of those ways, thanks so much in advance. We appreciate that. 